Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. On today's show, we have mother-son duo of Maria Schreiber and Patrick Schwarzenegger. Maria is a journalist, best-selling author, member of the Kennedy family, former first lady of California, and the founder of the Women's Alzheimer's Movement. Her son Patrick is an American actor, model, investor, and they are both the founders of my new favorite superfood bar called Mosh Life. And today we're going to chat all things brain health and mental health. Patrick, Maria, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Me too. Thank you so much. <laughs> so great to have you both. And you know, Maria, I want to start with your dad, Sergeant Shriver, and and his story, how he was affected by Alzheimer's and your subsequent journey. Well, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2003, but clearly what we know now is that Alzheimer's builds for about 20 years in your brain before you're really symptomatic. And daddy had been struggling, I think, probably a year or two before that, kind of losing his way in speeches and repeating himself. But he was officially diagnosed in 2003. And so I've been on this journey, really, of 20 years, working on this disease, trying to understand this disease, reporting on this disease, and seeing how it evolved, how the narrative around it has changed, how the possibilities around it have changed. And I think we're at a very exciting moment in our world where we're talking about brain health, we're talking about cognitive health, people who are Patrick's age are interested in it, people who are my age are really interested in it and kind of urgent about it. But to see somebody up close who was the smartest human being I had ever met, who knew every fact and figure about American history, to see a mind like that not know what a fork is or not know who their child is. Uh, really obviously gets your attention in every way. And to understand that could happen to anyone and that there are things that are in our toolbox that we might be able to do that could help us has really been my mission as well as trying to find a cure. Well, I think you've done a tremendous job g getting Thank you. cognitive decline, dementia, Alzheimer's, raising awareness. I think we're an entirely different space than we were back, you know, you talk about 2003 and I think of today and you mentioned Patrick and his generation, you know, a couple of weeks ago, our staff here at My Buddy Green, much, you know, I'm 47, most of them in their twenties and mostly female. And I was so surprised when I asked about cognitive decline and who was concerned and all, all the hands went up and wow. I could think wow. about me when I was in my twenties, I wasn't, <laughs> that was not on my list of things to, to be concerned about. And so. Wow. I'm curious, Patrick, from your perspective, what do you think your generation is understanding about this issue and, and why it's at the forefront? Because I go back to me, I was definitely, I, I was probably more unaware than, than you currently are in your 20s. Uh, but what right. do you think it is about your generation that gets it? I think there's kind of a two-pronged approach. I think one of the things that my mom talks about often and that we need to pay more attention to is that, you know, at some point we're going to be the caregivers. We're going to be the ones that are taking care of our parents. And, you know, obviously the baby boomer generation, there's a lot more of a population than there was when my mom was a kid. And it's really mentally tough. It's really expensive. It's very taxing on the individual. I mean, my mom had to go through it with her father. 
And so I think that's becoming more and more evident today to our generation of what we're going to have to uh, potentially deal with. So it's something that we're starting to educate ourselves more about. It's something that people are starting to talk about, have conversations about. And then the other thing is kind of, you know, coming out of COVID and, and things during COVID when we were working at home, I think that so many people started to really pay attention to their mindset, to their mental health, to how are they going to optimize? How are they going to become the best version of them? How do they somehow stay focused on, you know, 10 hours of Zoom calls throughout the day sitting in one position? How do they stay energized throughout the day? How do they fall asleep better? How do they stay asleep better? So many things that, that our generation is starting to think about and find ways to to optimize and brain health and cognitive decline are, are a big part of that. So, you know, we get customers all the time that come to us and say, you know, finally, I, I have something that, you know, that I can eat that doesn't make me crash. You know, they want to stay uh, full longer. They want, there's all these adjectives and things that they're describing that it's making them feel. And those are the things that we've really wanted to do. We've wanted to utilize food and kind of mosh as a whole to continue the conversation about brain health at all ages. And we thought that this was a good way to kind of tackle and hit the millennial generation and Gen Z in a way that my mom wasn't maybe necessarily doing with a lot of her documentaries and books and stuff because she's really been focused on her age group. I think also, Jason, what Patrick's saying, which I think is super interesting, is so many of the young people working at Mosh who are Patrick's age have come to Mosh because they have a parent with yeah. cognitive decline. They have a grandparent with cognitive decline. They themselves feel like they're not clear, whether it's post-COVID, whether it's because, as Patrick said, they're Zooming, but they're like, wait a minute, I'm not, I have brain fog, or these terms are now in the zeitgeist in a way they weren't two, three, four years ago. And I think when kids Patrick's age see a parent who is my age, struggling with cognitive decline, that really gets their attention fast, right? And they're like, whoa, I want to help my parent. I want to help myself. I want to eat. And we now know a lot more about the impact of food on the brain, the impact of toxic culture on the brain, the impact of exercise on the brain, the impact of protein, hydration, all these things that Patrick's generation, I think, is much savvier about than when I was his age. Well, I think it's also important to know there are a lot of, you know, we think about the ailments we want to watch out for. Some of them, we can proactively do things to to, to try to ensure we, we don't have that ailment down the road. There are other things we, we may be susceptible to, and, you know, it can maybe reverse with some sort of inter lifestyle intervention. But with Alzheimer's, there's not much you can do once you have it. But yeah. there's a lot you can do today. And I think your message, which I think is so critical, is even in your 20s, there are things you can do and you kind of need to do it. Like with 40s, 50s, I, yeah. I, I don't want to like dissuade people. It's like, you know, start today wherever you're at. But with that said, I'm curious, what are the things that you're both doing today to ensure or to do everything you can, no, nothing in life is a hundred percent certain, obviously, but what are the things you're doing in your daily, everyday routine to help ensure that you're going to avoid cognitive decline, dementia, Alzheimer's? Yeah. I mean, I, I can start cause I've learned so much about it from my mom and I think she's learned a lot from me and that's, that's kind of what's made this working together on this project so much fun and so interesting. But yeah, I think the thing that my mom always 
kind of reiterates and states is that you are in the driver's seat. There are things that you can do today that will impact your brain health tomorrow or next year or in five years, 10 years uh, down the road, which I think is why we're becoming more interested. My generation, people in their 20s are tuning into this idea and it can start in very simple ways. You know, sleep is a very big aspect about brain health, you know, making sure you get that six to eight, more preferably eight hours of sleep, falling asleep at the same time every night, waking up at the same time every single day is a, a thing that's great for routine, but also for brain health. Eating at the same time every day, you know, having a break of fasting, quote unquote, is very beneficial. I do maybe 12 to 14 hours. Maria does more of the 16 to, you know, 18 hours. She's a little more intense than I am. But giving that kind of break, fasting has been very, uh, has had really great proven results for clarity, focus, brain health, uh, a, a, a mind diet something that is very low in sugar that has uh, nutritious, healthy fats has been very proven as well. So I try to pretty much, except for my ice cream tooth, I have not eat the, the added sugars and, and a lot of sweet tooth items. And uh, those are some of the quick things that I do. My mom has other ideas. No, I think what Patrick, we, you, we know that there are certain principles of a brain healthy diet that are kind of parallel to a lot of what we now know about heart health. I think Patrick talking about uh, sleep, I now eat much earlier than I ever used to when the kids were little. And when I was young, I ate at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. Now I try to eat at 6 because we now know that's better to have uh, that you're not eating right up to when you go to bed. Because when you go to sleep, that's when your brain can clear. I have a meditation practice that I practice every morning and I try to do it in the afternoon. That's also been shown to be really beneficial to the brain. Exercise, exercise, exercise. Every doctor, I, when I first talked to doctors in the beginning, they, I said, well, what, if I, what should I tell people? And they said, if you can only tell people one thing, it's to exercise because that builds BDNF. It gets your body going. It pumps uh, blood into the brain. So exercise. I've always been someone who exercised. But now when I exercise, I think about balance. I think about independence. I think about my brain. I don't think about losing weight. I think about building strength. I, feel, I think about independence. So I think what you eat, Patrick talked about a mind diet. We know a lot more uh, about healthy fats for the brain. We know a lot more about plant-based diets for the brain, uh, the Mediterranean diet. So what you eat, how you live, how you move. We now know a sedentary lifestyle that we have here in certainly in the United States, is really negative uh, for the brain. Connection, continuing to learn, seeing yourself as a beginner mindset. I try to keep learning, trying things that are like, Mosh, most of the meetings that I'm in, I have no clue what's being discussed. I'm in meetings with guys Patrick's age, and they're throwing acronyms around and budgets and stuff. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I sometimes will text Patrick in the middle of budget, and I'm like, what are we talking about? Customer acquisition and everybody's talking in acronyms, but I'm learning a different skill set, right? That I did for journalism or politics or producing and that sort of stuff. So I think seeing yourself as a continual learner is really important. I don't believe in retiring. Neither of my parents retired. So I think seeing yourself as someone who's out and connected and in community, we now know that that's also super important. And also for women, I think getting uh, hormones have been pro shown to be very beneficial to cognitive health. If you get in at the window when you're perimenopausal, 
that has shown to be very beneficial to brain health. So there are things that people can do today that will help them when they're my age. You mentioned connection, mm -hmm. you know, purpose, you know, and, and obviously there's a strong connection between the two of you and something I'm curious about, you know, Maria, you obviously had high achieving parents, Patrick, you obviously have high achieving parents and, and couple that with being in the public eye, there, there's a lot that can go wrong there and a lot can go right there. And I think suffice to say a lot, a lot's gone right in the case of you and, and your family. On the other hand, you know, I think we're, we're all watching or not, we're all, I try to avoid it, but it's in the zeitgeist, like we're watching Johnny Depp and Amber Heard fall apart in front of the world. And, and it's like sad and depressing. And I'm curious from like a mental health component, what, what do you think it is that, you know, some people, some families that are in the public eye come through okay. And some yeah. just completely fall apart and go to a downward spiral. Well, I think it's hard to raise your family in the public eye. I was raised in the public eye and, you know, I think that was helpful. Patrick's dad would agree with that. I think having someone who was also raised in the public eye knew what to watch out for and what to guard uh, their kids against who were also being raised in the public eye. I think uh, Art and I did a really good job protecting our kids, making sure that they had as normal a lifestyle as possible. I really emphasized sports. I really emphasized family time. I emphasized games. I emphasized nature. I emphasized family loyalty, manners, respect. All four of these kids had specific schedules. Uh, they stood up when I walked in the room. They wrote thank you notes. They understood that there were expectations of them that I, you know, so that's a whole longer discussion, but I think also letting them know that they were protected and that, you know, and I tried to talk to them about openly talk to them about the pressures of living in the public eye as a child and that, you know, certain people would make judgments about their last name and that they had to make sure that they thanked the parents, that they were well-behaved, well-mannered and those kinds of things. And I think, you know, I mean... Patrick, what do you think? I think that's kind of how we ran it. I mean, look, I think first off and foremost, there's, you know, you say, how do some people in the industry make it and others get just break it per se, you know, that happens in outside of Hollywood too. It's not just in Hollywood, you know, I mean, I think that that's an important thing, you know, obviously in Hollywood, it's heightened by the awareness of people and through cameras and press and everything like that. But, you know, I think so much comes back to parenting. You know, there were things that when we were kids, I absolutely hated that today I really admire that my parents did. And there, there are things that I will take with me when I have kids, you know, or I was talking to one of my friends the other day and I was telling him about how we had family dinners every night. We had to all be there at, at the table together. And I used to hate that as a kid. I wanted to go out and have dinner with my friends and this thing. And, and when we were on trips and that was something that my parents were very adamant about was getting the whole family together every night at dinner because my mom works, my dad worked, we were off at school and uh, we were all separated kind of during the days in that this was a time where we could all come together at night and, and talk as a family and talk about highs, talk about lows. And then also I kind of, I think, you know, a huge thing was giving back was something that was very embedded in our family through my mom's side of her family, her father and her mother. And that's something that both my mom and dad kind of instilled in us as well is realizing how fortunate we for our health, for our wealth, for our family, for the food on our table, for the house, all of those little aspects that sometimes you might not think about 
and how are there ways that we can utilize our platform and who we are as a family to, to give back. And uh, I think that was a kind of a humbling lesson and something that will always stick with me. And, and then last would probably be, you know, manners and having, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, just because my mom's successful or my dad's successful doesn't mean I don't have my own, you know, aspirations to go out and do my own, you know, my own things in my own career. And, you know, that was one of the beauties of Bosch was, you know, my background in the last 10 years has been in food and beverage and the direct consumer in the CPG space. My mom's has been in Alzheimer's awareness. And when COVID happened and I moved back home with my mom and, uh, you know, her Alzheimer's events had to come to a stop, her, a lot of the donations coming in came to stop, et cetera. I said, you know, why don't we utilize, you know, my background in food and Bev and yours in, in the Alzheimer's space. And we create something together that, you know, speaks to customers and educates them about what they eat and what they drink impacts their brain health. So it was like kind of a little perfect marriage between our two backgrounds, but now I'm kind of going off topic, but those are the main, main reasons that. No, but I want to add, I think what's really great there, Jason, I want to add two things. What, what Patrick was really instrumental about what he was saying is like, I can make your dream of like having this bar company, having a company that, you know, promotes brain health and talks about, it. I can make it a reality. I had been trying to do this for years. And people would say to me all the time, like, your age, just, there's no market for your age. And people don't want to eat for their brain health. And, you know, would one of your kids do it, not you, you know? And I would keep saying, look at, you know, my age group has disposable income. My age group is interested in this space. And nobody was interested in me with my message. And Patrick was. And he's like, I can make this happen for you. And I'm like, great, let's go. Cause nobody else wants to do it. People always think, oh, everybody must've wanted to work with you. No, they didn't, they didn't. And the other thing that I think has really been important which also goes into this is I was raised by two daily practitioners of their Catholic faith. And they believed, you know, they had tremendous faith, tremendous social justice work and they had faith in themselves and faith in their children. And I have tremendous faith in our children and tremendous faith in this mission as well. And I really believe that what we're building here is going to make a difference in people's lives through the content that we put out, the food we put out, the products put out. And I know it's going to change lives and I know it's going to give back and I know it's going to make a difference in research. Well, well said, and I, I love what you're doing with Mosh for, for, for a number of reasons. One, I'm, as I said to you before the show, I'm a bar junkie. And I read labels and there are very few bars that I think actually taste good and have a clean label. And, and you definitely qualify specifically. I'm a big fan of the peanut butter crunch. And I'll also add that look, health and wellness is a very hot category, the hot space. Yeah. And we have, we get sent so many products and there's so many entrepreneurs and there's so much capital and money flowing in. And we see this all the time and look, you know, an entrepreneur looking to, to make money, I have nothing against that, but it, it's very clear that th there's sometimes uh, passion and, and mission. And it's very clear that you guys are passionate about this. There's a real story. There's a yeah. real mission and, and, and there's a great product. And when that happens, it's magic. And it doesn't actually happen that often. I see a lot of things where, oh, white space, yeah. let's serve this category and let's, right, look, right. And, and let's go create a product versus like. Actually, there's a real genuine story here. There's a genuine passion. There's an opportunity to give back. Food is medicine. Yeah. And there's an opportunity here to actually create something that 
can help solve the problem for not everyone can create a delicious snack every day that is, that is yeah. healthy for their brain and, and look, packaged foods and snacks happen. So when they happen, they should be better for you. Yeah. My motto and mission for the last, you know, 10 years, that's how I got really involved in this better for you health and wellness space was first off being a struggling customer and then two wanting to kind of utilizing, you know, my platform, our connections, et cetera, to help find these other entrepreneurs that are creating these better for you health and wellness companies. And then that was kind of what I took with that knowledge to create Mosh. But I think that, you know, you say that there's a lot of money in this industry. There are a lot of people going out to profit. And, you know, in the beginning, in the early days when we were first launching this, you know, we had another company that came wanting to, to take half of this company and, and uh, ultimately we decided not to, and just to do it self-financed and self-run ourselves so that we could stick true to the mission, because that was the biggest thing that we were worried about was, Hey, if we just go and put, you know, mom, if we put your face on another person's product, you have no, there is no kind of why there is no about us. There's no truth to the story of really building this, you know, mother and son during COVID living together giving back to the women's Alzheimer's movement, why the women's Alzheimer's movement, why did we say all these different things? And, and that was like a, a, you know, our main pillar is that we're a mission driven company. We're a company that's born out of a mission and out of a why. And we believe that customers buy the why, not the what. And I would like to add on that. What has been super exciting is to look at the analytics and to see that we're bringing in a new customer into this space. Uh, a new customer that's closer to my age that hasn't been in this space. And to me, that's a really, I'm super excited about that because I've always felt, you know, and I think so many people, you know, particularly women at midlife, they feel really forgotten by Madison Avenue. Everybody's trying to get people Patrick's age, right? And, but nobody's thinking about what we're going through, what we need, what we want, and Mosh has been able to bring generations together, just like Patrick and I are different generations. And I'm friends with his friends. He's friends with my friends. And to me, that's really the beauty of this brand. It's across generations. And that's what I'm super excited about. Well, you mentioned women being ignored from a marketing perspective. What's still astonishing yeah. to me is women were largely ignored in Alzheimer's research until you came along. Well, thank you. Women have been ignored in all research and particularly women in the Alzheimer's space. We weren't even in the narrative. And every time I would go there and I would say to doctors, you know, I think it's women. They're like, no, honey, no, it's not. I'm like, yeah, no, it is. And so I spent two years on the Schreiber report trying to change the narrative and come up with the proof that this was disproportionately impacting women. And so we now have that. And now everybody in this space talks about women, talks about women as two thirds of the caregivers and the whole stress and cognitive decline in the caregiving space, right? We talk about women and we talk about women now into researching women's lifespan. That wasn't happening until the nineties, if you can believe it or not. All the studies on estrogen were done on white men. So women are lagging behind. We don't know much about women at midlife. And so we're trying to fund research into women's health journey so that we understand what is the effect of birth control on the brain? What is the effect of type 2 diabetes on the brain? What is the effect of perimenopause on the brain, menopause on the brain? And we now know that there's a dramatic effect on that. So I think that 
while we are building a company, as Patrick said, that is the brain brand. And our goal is to build many products. In addition, the first one was the bar, but we want to build many products that are good for the brain. And we want to fund research that will lead us to cures that eventually maybe somebody, a woman or a man is 40 years old and now they get a statin if they're developing heart plaque, they'll get something for Alzheimer's if they begin to see, oh, you're getting plaques and tangles or you're beginning to show some sort of shrinkage of the brain. Perhaps there's a statin type drug that people will get in their 40s and 50s that will prevent or delay Alzheimer's. That is certainly what many people are now talking about. And that would be really exciting for that to happen in my lifetime. You know, build off of that, you know, I, th- I think the research has come so far, yet we have so far to go. So what are the things that are top of mind? You know, if, if resources were no object and you could wave your magic wand, what are some of the studies? Where, where would you like to see science go? What, what are you scratching your head and you want answers to with regards to the research that needs to happen? Well, first, I'd like us to have multiple products. That's, you know, when I build Mosh and Patrick's expertise, he's like, slow down, mommy. We have to like do this methodically and build methodically. So I would like to be able to have products like olive oil and supplements and have stories that go with that as to why, right? And I would also love us to see, you know, from a personal standpoint, I want to know what is the effect of menopause on the brain? What is the effect of hormones on the brain? Why are women's brains shrinking at midlife? I'd love, uh, I'm doing a big piece on the Today Show tomorrow about the massive, you know, amount of women at midlife who are prescribed SSSRIs. Why is that? You know, what is the impact of that? Why are women so prone to depression and anxiety? Those are all spaces that haven't been adequately researched. And I think, you know, they're massively important. So obviously I would love to have a cure for Alzheimer's. You know, as Patrick said in the beginning, it's incredibly expensive. I spent a year and a half doing a map for the governor of California, you know, on how this state should age. We're an aging nation, families, you know, you have young people Patrick's age and we have about a half a million kids 18 and under who are caring for grandparents. You know, caring for someone with cognitive decline is challenging, complicated, all-encompassing. And so I'm hoping that we'll get support for caregivers politically. I'm hoping we'll fund women's health from NIH more than we have done in the past. And I'm hoping that we'll fund, you know, neurological disease at a level we haven't funded in the past. I, I hope we can get it all done if I think about, look... I'm an optimist, I'll point that out. But if I think about a lot of the issues we're facing right now, cognitive decline is a big one and mental health, you know, cousin of that mental health epidemic. And I think generationally, generationally cognitive decline, you know, call that the, the 50 plus club. And then you look at the mental health epidemic, which does not discriminate amongst age groups. You know, there, there was something that came out the Mm -hmm. other day with, with teens, I'll I'll quote it between 2009 and 2021. The share of American high school students who said they feel, quote unquote, persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness jumped from 26% to a record 44% per the CDC. For adolescents 10 to 19, emergency room visits for self-harm jumped 88% from 2001 to 2019. So that's pre-pandemic. And 
There were 45% increase in the number of self-injury and suicide cases in five to 17 year olds in the first half of 2021. And a, a team of physicians urged Congress to quote unquote, treat this mental health crisis like the emergency it is. Yeah, I read yeah. that same wow. report. And kids spend a lot of time alone today. That's one thing I think that you kids did not have any time alone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I was like, you know, okay, now we're going to play a game. Now we're going to play charades. Now we're going to go watch your sister and the horse thing. Now we're going to go. And also they didn't have smartphones, right? So I didn't let them get phones until they were in seventh grade. And even then they started with little small there was a great piece that was accompanying that report that talked about all the parents now who are, you know, saying no to smartphones for their kids. So I think you're going to see a parental movement to, you know, decrease technology, to increase, you know, in-person learning, in-person connection. We now know that obviously kids who didn't go to school, that it was really detrimental to their social life, their emotional life, and their academic life. So I think you know, I totally understand wanting to put your kid on an iPad because you're stressed. You've got maybe you're working two jobs and, you know, it's it, I get that. But we have to do a better job supporting parents and supporting families in this country. I'm curious. I, I agree with everything you said, Marie, and I'm, I'm curious, Patrick, in your peer group in the 20-somethings, what are you seeing with friends who are, you know, not doing so well with their mental mental health and like what what are some of the commonalities is it is it social media is it TikTok? is it none of the above yeah i think for sure social media plays a, a massive role in it you know i've had friends that have you know quit social media for certain periods of time or you know i think that apple's actually done a okay job at recently trying to find ways to update uh, it's software to allow you to do, you know, like now into focus mode, I can put my phone now into focus mode, or I can put into do not disturb. So I don't get any messages during, you know, the times when I'm reading or doing work or going to the gym or things like that. But I think, yeah, I mean, social media, look, it's a, I think people are starting to realize, you know, more and more so that it is a, you know, it's a highlight reel, right? It's a, it's people showing always their favorite, their best moments of traveling or, uh, you know, tuning their face to look a certain way or their body. It's kind of this unrealistic, you know, modern day version of what magazine covers were, I guess, back in the day, you know, maybe your guy's generation or something, but it, it creates this, this sense of, you know, like constantly you feel like you're not doing enough or you're comparing yourself to other people or to other people's lives. And it, you know, it definitely has effects on some of my friends and on people in general, right? I mean, you hear about it all the time. But I also think that it, it's a conversation that people are, you know, maybe years ago, my friends would never talk with each other about that. And that's something that they would talk about now or seek uh, therapy for or, you know, things like that, that I think are catching up a little bit more to modern times and modern day. But yeah, there's definitely and I think that COVID really, you know, propelled this. I think that a lot of people were, you know, I was extremely fortunate during COVID that I got to move home with my mom, that I had someone to be with all the time and my girlfriend as well. But, you know, for a lot of people that were alone, it, it was tough or working paycheck to paycheck or things like that. The lockdown was, you know, it's brutal on, on so many different aspects of life and mental health was something that I think we're only starting to see the beginning of the, the ramifications and the effects that it had on people that are of all ages.
I think also I'm hopeful that we'll start to also increasingly destigmatize therapy. I think therapy is such a powerful tool. And I talk a lot about how I've benefited from therapy. And I think it's a really important thing that people, if they're in their, you know, if they're 15, if they're 16, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever it is, and you feel like you need somebody to talk to therapy is a really great option. And now there's, you know, kind of, I see a lot of online therapy. There are, you know, community groups that get together. I think finding a community, finding a therapist, finding a group to connect with is super important. And, you know, I think that's something that social media can help people find communities. But I think showing up to the community in person is really valuable. Get to know your neighbors, get to know the people around you and also reach out. You know, they say all the time, like if you notice a suspicious bag in the airport, say something. If you notice a friend struggling, say something, reach out, uh, say, are you okay? Can I help you in any way? Call your friends. I want to just check. I do that all the time. I'm doing a buddy check. I do it every morning, buddy check. How are we? And people are always like, you mean, you don't want anything. You don't want to eat anything. You're just checking on me. That's a big thing. I think. I I think something, again, I'm an optimist. I do think we are really recognizing the the power of real, meaningful IRL connection. There is no substitute for being close to someone who you have a great connection with. It just. Zoom can accomplish a lot, but there is no substitute for in real life. And I think we're all seeing that play out. Yeah. IRL. <laughs> Other acronym to add, IRL, IRL. I there, know. There are many others I am unaware of. <laughs> no, there's customer. I was going over them yesterday, Patrick. What is it? Customer acquisition. Uh, the CAC. Customer acquisition cost, LTV. Yeah. We know those well. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, cat. <laughs> in closing, again, the, we, we've come so far with regards to the conversation and brain health. Where do you want the, you know, for the next couple of years, where, where do you want the conversation to go? Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, continuously we're trying to educate consumers, you know, my age, your age, my mom's age, all different demographics about, about brain health and that they are in the driver's seat. You know, our main goal with Mosh is to create a platform, to create tons of different products that speak to brain and body health that meet the customer where they are, but starts to incorporate, you know, the brain healthy version of that. So that's really where we want to go. Of course, we wanted to continue to donate back to Uh, the women's Alzheimer's movement. We want to continue to educate, continue to, you know, build different product lines. And uh, we're really just getting started. This is our first year and we've had so much success and we've learned so much and continuing to talk with our customers, but there's a, a lot of room to grow and a lot of ways to continue to build this company. I envision walking into your local supermarket and just seeing a whole row of Mosh products. I, I, you know, I want to see them and I want people to go in and see that in their supermarket and know that's good for me. And if I buy that, it's going to be good for me and it's going to be good for our world. And I see our website as being a place and our digital home as being a place where you can go and find out information about how to put yourself in the driver's seat. I see summits, I see gatherings, I see people sharing information with their parents. Like Patrick 
constantly like take something out of my hand and said, read the label, mommy. That's bad for you what you're eating or something. I didn't grow up reading a label. That wasn't a part of the zeitgeist. And even when, you know, our kids were young, none of this stuff was in the zeitgeist. So, you know, it's hard to change habits. You know what I mean? I'm constantly having things taken out of my hand by my children because they're quote unquote have something bad in there for me. So I'm hopeful that we'll continue to educate the consumer of all ages. I saw how Patrick said his age, your age, and my age, and even older. And I really hope that we're a part of finding a solution to neurological disease. And that's Alzheimer's, dementia, MS, Parkinson's, Lewy body, all of these things that impact so many of our loved ones. And I hope we're seen as a solution in people's lives and an asset in people's lives. And I hope when they see our brand, we spend a lot of time on our branding. So I'm really proud of our branding because it comes from a brain scan. And we, you know, I drove Patrick insane with the, you know, how the packaging looks, but I'm really proud of every part of our company. And I just like to see it. I can't wait to walk into a supermarket and see the mosh aisle. <laughs> well, neither can I. You're off to a great start. Patrick, Maria, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you, Jason. Thanks so much.